Hey, Action Heroes. Do you want to check out a podcast that's got none of the intelligent discussion of all comics considered, but all the viewpoints of Reddit? Check out Comic Book Informer. I'm sure you'll agree. Hello, welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, the 26th of April. And today we have a guest. We've been, like I said, playing around with the All Comics Considered cast, and we are going to be doing a big episode beginning of May for Civil War. And so we're kind of bouncing around and having some fun. And we've got Nick with us today. So welcome to the show, buddy. Uh, thanks a lot. Now, we, oh, Vince is here too. Nobody, that, really nobody cares. Really, seriously, nobody really does. <laughs> Okay, I I barely care. You just you're not even woken up from your nap yet. <laughs> Please, <laughs> we are going to be doing as is customary for us when we have guests on, just a grab bag and talk about a whole bunch of different stuff that we're reading right now that we're enjoying. Before we get into that, though, more serious topic of discussion, and this is it, it kind of blew up. Because of the recent letting go, firing of Shelley Bond over at DC. Now, she's been there for over 20 years, highly respected. And so a lot of people were upset when she was let go. What wind up happening, however, having nothing to do with that, really directly related, People started talking about how this boys club has been allowed to continue wherein you have intelligent, respected women, few of them in this case at DC, and they are letting them go when they're still hanging on to assholes who have sexually harassed women at DC to the point of charges being laid to the point of... Uh, <laughs> rumors are that even like the Superman team does not even have any women for a reason in there because to keep them away from Eddie Berganza. So what wound up happening is that it finally came out much of it. Thanks to Nick Hanover, a journalist who said, listen, that's enough. We need to actually name this person, not just pussyfoot around it, but actually name who this is so that more pressure can be applied onto DC because it is a horrendous practice that again, intelligent, well-respected women of which there are few there are being let go while people like him get promoted, get remain there, keep their jobs despite the overwhelming flow of be it rumors, be it facts, be it, you know, actual charges against him for sexual harassment. And I don't know how you two felt about it, but we've talked about this several times on this podcast where in to the point, it got to the point, at least you had said to Vince that you were taking a break from them for a while until they got their shit in order. And having read this, I kind of reached my breaking point on it. And I made it very clear on Twitter that that was it. And I'm not, I can't tell you obviously what to do on the show. That's up to you to decide. But I personally am not talking about their comics, their TVs, any of their IPs 
literally until they get their shit in order. It doesn't have to be perfectly in order, but there has to be some repercussions for situations like this. And yes, this, most of the things that happened with him are years ago now, but that doesn't change the fact that A, they happened and that B, nothing was really done about it. So what, again, how are you feeling about this, Vince? Yeah, this is something I've heard about for quite a while now. Like, and it, it was always, you know, whispers and, you know, can't say any, nobody wanting to say any names, but it's it, it's been out there. And like I said, it wasn't until somebody, you know, finally reached their breaking point with other shenanigans at the editorial side that they, they finally opened up about it. And it's something we've seen so many times over the last few years of where there's smoke, there's fire. You know, I've heard, you know, rumors about an editor at DC that was misbehaving. Now, okay, finally, we're getting a little more information about that. I heard, you know, stuff uh, at other companies, you know, coming out. Dark Horse has yeah. an atrocity going on over there. Heard about, you know, indie creators that were making people very uncomfortable at cons and, you know, come to find out Yale Stewart's sending naked pictures of himself to women. And it's just... I'm constantly disappointed by this industry, constantly. Uh, and, and like going back to when I, you know, had my breaking point a couple years ago, that was right around the time when uh, the whole, what is it, Brett Booth and the Teen Titans yeah. and all that. And you know, Jim Lee was coming out in support of an utterly distasteful human being. And I was like, I'm done because it was indicative of a certain mentality within the company. And, I didn't stop boycotting DC because of anything they did. It was just more of a realization that this entire industry is screwed. And like and that was around the time when, you know, all the stuff was coming up about Brian Wood and, you know, Nathan Edmondson, guys that have been and are still employed by Marvel and Image and other companies. It's like top to bottom, it's just so depressing. Nick, what's your dick? Ah. <sighs> To be honest, I'm just – I'm both flat-out disgusted and not surprised. I mean, Berganza that, – That's the worst part. Yeah, there's there's yeah, no surprise. Yeah. I, I, it's like Vince was saying. Berganza is the tip of the spear. Um, you know, you go back to – what's it? The, one of the owners of Dragon Con. Uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, there is this core of toxic, racist, sexist uh, – uh, masculinity, I guess, like pseudo masculinity that kind of lingers at the heart of uh, what I would consider to be nerd culture. And it's poisonous. And it it is not only damaging to uh, uh, the people that it's directed against, but it costs everybody uh, uh, stories that we'll never see it's so frustrating the you know the only thing that we get from including more people in art is more great art and it is so insanely frustrating i guess to see this type of you know bro club the the you know no man don't worry it's not that bad we got your back you won't lose your job i mean that's insane you know what i mean like uh, uh specifically putting someone in your company that's been charged with you know sexual assault uh, uh, and moving them to a new department to keep women away from them that is that is 
mind-boggling to me. That is that is walking into the police station to report a rape and having them ask you what you were wearing. What's really frustrating, especially you know, with the Berganza stuff, is this happened at a major party at San Diego Comic Con. Like the amount of well, one of the accusations. Yes, well, the, yeah, the the one that you know is the most uh, talked about, at least at the moment, happened in a very public setting. So the amount that this spreads across the industry that nobody really talked about this except in hushed whispers on certain news sites is again it's not just dc that's the problem there's a big problem with comics as a whole that it took this long for us to really learn about it fully and see part of the problem there too is what you're saying as well where it was hushed whispers and people aren't talking about it and it it's one of those things where it's frustrating because, again, I, I've said I'm not supporting them. Now, that's my choice. I don't expect everybody else to follow my lead. I'm just saying that's what I'm doing because I've reached my breaking point. That's it. Enough's enough, and I'm not going to support this anymore. But then you wind up thinking, like, and, and it's not going to change the fact that I'm going to do that. However, how much of an impact is that going to make? Now, I don't think that highly of myself that I think they give a rat's ass about whether or not I actually talk about their comics on a podcast. They don't. I know that. But if more people do the same, is that going to be enough to effectuate change with them? Or does it have to, does it have to be a monetary thing? Does it have to be a pressure from social media does, and, and say podcasts, whatever else? What is it? that is going to wind up making the most amount of change when we're looking at a problem that is this systemic in the entirety of the comic book industry. So uh, sadly, I think that the honest answer to that is probably time. It is mind boggling to me how Marvel could still be misstepping this badly with the portrayal of Asians in media mm-hmm. after the reactions that they've been getting for the last several years, and they're still just pushing full speed ahead. It seems like there's almost no amount of communication that the audience can produce that will change the people in charge's minds. So all I can really figure is that we just need to keep doing our damn best to put pressure on and shift up the talent that's in charge there. And, you know, hopefully over time we'll get that boulder rolling. It's it's incredibly disappointing, especially right now from, from D.C. for me because, um, you know, I, I'm sure you guys have uh, uh, maybe heard us talk about uh, – No, we don't how, listen. What, <laughs> <laughs> well, about Man of Steel and uh, – uh, um, Batman versus Superman, um, and how just incredibly disappointed we are in the uh, DC murder verse. And right now in the comics, uh, DC is almost going the exact opposite route of that with Superman in you know offering us these sort of different images of Superman right now that all harken back to uh, the classic I want to wear my underwear you know on the outside kind of guy that I think is actually what what we need at this point in time. Um, I was incredibly interested in American alien. 
I was very, very interested in the new Ken and Kong Superman that's going to be coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Flash TV show has me fired up to go back and start picking up the old Flashpoint trades. And I can no longer honestly recommend anybody send any money to DC's way right now. Like they have they have lost my money. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where I'm going back to us speaking with our money. Is it going to be as effective as speaking? Because we've tried boycotting. Many people have over the years their stuff. And yet they continue to make the same boneheaded mistakes. And and. Bonehead is far too slight a term for sexual harassment. So I don't want to make light of that. I, again, when I say I'm oh, reached my breaking point, there was some furious moments there when I was reading over this. And it doesn't help that you have other creators who, in effect, kind of come to support the offenders, some in what they deem to be mild ways, some who may be misconstrued or misunderstood what their meaning are, and some point blank doing that. And I mean, case in point, we're talking about a pre-show. I I was having what could have been an argument with Dan Slott on Twitter yesterday because of, and I'll just come out and say it, the stupidity that he was tweeting, making it appear as if We should not be talking about this as much unless it's one person who is highly credible, who has done an incredibly exhaustive research into a feature kind of thing. Whereas I feel, no, everybody should be talking about this a lot, a lot, naming names. Hence why Nick named the name. And what was funny is that he kept going back again to the woman who came out and said that, yes, she had been sexually assaulted by him and saying how, you know, this is what we need more of. And the woman is saying, yeah, but I only came out because Nick finally named this guy. Mm -hmm. And so the fact is by trying to silence news sites, any kind of podcast, anything, people in general from discussing this, then you are silencing victims because they won't come out as much, if at all, to say when something horrific like this is happening to them. And the idea that, oh, yeah, but then you're going to get false reports and whatnot is so incredibly minuscule. The chance of that happening, as opposed to the certainty of all of the women who will not say anything because they feel that they have been silenced or that their careers are in jeopardy because heaven forbid they spit against the boys club yeah it's all part of the same uh phenomenon as gamergate i mean we we kind of talk about it in individual instances in between the different uh genres of nerddom comic books and uh, movies and tv shows and video games but it all comes back to i think the same sort of underlying malignant forces which are always you know uh, explain you know there's two basic explanations that we hear for it one you know either the perpetrator specific perpetrator is you know racist or misogynist or they are simply you know perpetrating those tropes because it is that that is what is uh financially in their best interest in which case i say if you are exploiting 
uh, morally reprehensible positions to make money, you're a piece of <laughs> shit anyway. No argument there. <laughs> it's. I just want to be involved with one thing I like without finding out it's completely horrible. That's oh, all man. I ask. Just let me enjoy one thing. The thing with the, the comics as well is that, I mean, again, we've talked about this over the years many times. The, we know how pervasive this type of harassment is everywhere. And what winds up happening is that in researching for this, it's a very dark rabbit hole that gets more and more depressing the further you go, the more links you follow and read what these women have had to put up with. And even then, we're only seeing a fraction of the of it and not in any kind of detail that would horrify us as we should be by the entire thing. I mean, case in point, I don't know if you saw the link that I retweeted as well. It's for games, but... Yeah, I, I have it just saved, but I haven't actually looked at it yet. Where men are forced to read tweets that other men wrote about women who are journalists in games, be it real games or video games. And, I mean, it's horrific. It's uh, absolutely I, horrific. I can't even fathom the type of person that would write or think some of that stuff. Yeah. What I mean, what we have essentially bred in many ways is the digital American Taliban um, that are, I mean, sending death threats to anyone that doesn't uh, uh, agree with them. And not only are they sending death threats to the people that they're targeting, they send death threats to anybody that writes about it. There was an article that appeared in uh, Kotaku, I think, last week about uh, the uh, – there's a woman at Nintendo who was uh, oh, fired. Allison. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who was fired? And then yeah. uh-huh, they wrote an uh, the the guy that wrote the article wrote an update saying, you know, and by the way, since I wrote that original original article, now I'm the target of death threats. I mean, that's just flat out terrorism. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've again, that's something we've talked about on the games podcast, especially, and that's flat out the def- very definition. So yeah, I agree. It's, and it's. Uh, it's so frustrating because no matter how much we talk about it and speak about it, like I don't know how much good it's going to do because like, oh, you should talk to the people who you see doing this. I'm like, well, I don't see people doing this because I don't associate with people like that. So I could speak up about it as much as I want, but it's going to only be with people in my social circle who – have that same mentality as I do. Like if you're the type of person who would say these things, you're not a person who I would talk to or would talk to me. So as, as much as we want to do good, it's, it's kind of an echo chamber where we're only talking to people who also want it to be better. I don't know how to reach the, the rotten core. I I don't know how we can do that. And it's, it's something that's been frustrating me for a couple of years now. I have often wished that there was uh, like a hand sign that uh, people could flash me to let me know whether or not they would rather have me jump in and help them or just shut the fuck up and let them handle it, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, I joke about our scope of influence, and, and to a certain degree, obviously, it's true, but we do have a voice. And I think that it's important for us. To oh, use yeah. I'm not it saying to, we shouldn't try. Yeah. 
And the same with you guys, Nick, at, at ACC. I mean, and I've heard you guys speak out against such stupidity. And I always applaud you when you do because I think that's fantastic. And I think that we need more and more and more podcasters, videocasters, everybody speaking out against this type of stupidity, harassment, everything. Because I don't think that it will be the money that is going to the, the idea of speaking with our, our wallets. I don't think that's going to be it. All that's going to happen from that is that series will be cut. Creators will be let go, but likely women and minorities first and, and rebooting. <laughs> Let's be honest because that's where the money is, but I don't think that it'll actually effectuate change. But I think that by speaking about it more and by being blunt, case in point, like what I'm doing here and saying, that's it. No more DC for me until they get their shit in order. I think those are the kind of things that they need to hear more and more people saying. And that will be our best shot at effectuating change. I think it's a more effective way to uh, to effect change, particularly when we're talking about art and media that instead of the traditional boycott, the the concept of withholding your money from a specific company, instead, uh, look around the landscape. There's a lot more out there than you might think. Mm-hmm. Don't withhold your dollars. Divert them somewhere else to, to someplace better. Uh, and I, I think that a lot of people doing that is, you know, that's partly responsible for the current image boom that's going on, you know. That's what gives us the opportunity to see uh, – uh, comics like bitch planet uh is people deciding hey we're tired of this same old bullshit you know please give us something new and looking for different outlets for that oh i agree and when i say withholding money it's certainly not that oh all of a sudden now i'm saving 20 bucks a month in comics no that'll be put towards ones that i actually want to support and and that's important because I, just like you guys, don't want the industry to die out. In fact, I want there to be more people buying comics so that then more people can be, more creators can be hired by the, well, even the big three, anybody, so that we can have a higher likelihood then of having more women creators, more gay creators, more trans creators, even any trans creators, any other minorities. So I think that's that's definitely important. You know what uh, honestly just makes me so angry about this DC situation specifically with DC and with Marvel and with anybody in the in the in the comics uh, industry especially if they have anything to do with a capes book and that's that the the crux of uh, what makes a capes book good is a morality play. It is an ethical discussion. You know, how how should power be applied? You know, what is the right thing to do? What is the wrong thing to do? So you're talking about an industry in which people spend the vast majority of their time talking about ethical and moral questions uh, within the scope of a narrative. How How in that environment... Can things like this be acceptable? Very good point. Very, very good point. There was a reason we brought you and not Marty. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on to some lighter conversations, please. Unless, Vince, did you have anything, any last parting thoughts? 
No, I, I think uh, Nick summed it up quite nicely. Quite nicely indeed. Okay, so Nick, we'll toss it to you. We're going to keep it down to no more than three just because we're running a little bit long, but it was worth it for that conversation. So what do you got for us first? Uh, well, actually, I want to talk about Invincible a little bit. Uh, ah, that was on I my list. That, that's mine yeah, too. <laughs> I, I know that you guys like that. Uh, I picked up the uh, Invincible Compendium 1 at uh, Emerald City Comic Con. I'm a little late to the party. Oh, but uh, you're, you're at a good spot there. What's, oh, what issues are in that one? Uh, it is 1 through 48. Oh, I, I just finished number 23. You're in prime invincible time right now <laughs> well, well let's be honest issues one through 157 are kind of prime <laughs> yeah but that early stuff was really oh, yeah. it, good it's incredible it uh so powers is probably my favorite comic okay. uh and when it comes out <laughs> yes exactly uh and the first two trades like issues one through 12 of invincible hit a very similar uh tone uh, to p- the way that Powers talks about comic books, mm-hmm. uh, that this is serious, but we're also joking about it, like Savage Dragon's going to show up in the background, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're showing how casual uh, uh, superpowers can become when you've been exposed to them over time. And then, oh, my God, the twist, you know? <laughs> <laughs> They just, uh, yeah, they jam that corkscrew home into your heart and just yank that out. They, I mean, they make you care about those characters and then just sucker punch you. Get used to that. It doesn't get any better. <laughs> Not one bit. Also, perhaps the finest example of a mush that mustache ever appearing in a comic. <laughs> it's a Freddie Mercury mustache. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, Vince. I'm assuming you wanted to talk about the latest one, 127. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think about the art on that one? Because and, Ryan Otley's not there. He. It didn't feel like he was missing, though. I mean, there was no hyper violence. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just everybody being on model without any missing body parts. So, like, I, I didn't even really notice it. Oh, really? Oh man, yeah. I did. I really did. I not so much a fan of this art. Hmm. It, not so much fan at all. And there were parts, some panels where I was like, "Wow, that is jacked up as well." Does not look good. Maybe I'll maybe I'll give it another shot because it's it's at a point right now where I, I almost do a disservice to Ryan Otley by just assuming. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the art's fine, and I'm just so f- focused on the story and the characters that I mean, he's Otley has worked at such a high level for so long that I, I kind of take him for granted. Uh, see, I noticed it right away and, until something absolutely ludicrous happens, like somebody getting ripped in half, or you know, their head being worn as a piece of fashion, and you, you have some good stuff to look forward to. <laughs> this is such a messed up book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it is, but. I mean, this, again, I, as soon as I opened it up and I noticed the art, it was like, whoa, 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 that's not right. But I figured it was because Oddly was working on his grizzly shark thing. So that's probably why. <laughs> so I'm, I'm no offense to Oddly, but I'm really hoping grizzly shark does not do very well so that he comes back to this. <laughs> because I read grizzly shark. It was interesting, but I would much rather see him on this. Yeah. What did you think about the story, though? And, and the it, fact that Mark is getting pretty sensitive. 
He is crying at the drop of a hat. I haven't seen a superhero cry this much since Batman in the latest movie. (laughs) Yeah, this is. uh, He's. I think that. I think it's kind of overdoing it. It's all well and good to be sensitive, of course. And when he's gone through a lot, sure. But it kind of feels like it's being overworked now. We're at the point where Mark really needs a win. Kirkman has kicked him in the nuts so many times over the last 20 issues. (laughs) We've gone far enough down the drain at this point. Like I... I'm so happy with, you know, the character study we've done with him of, you know, how low can he get and still, you know, remain together. You know, how much more crap can happen to this guy? But now he needs to start climbing out of that because yeah, I, I don't want any more mopey. Like, that's important. Like, it's we should be able to show, you know, a masculine superhero, a guy who's incredibly strong. He should, we should be able to see those moments of weakness. That's very important. It's something that this comic has done very, very well over the last couple of years, but it also reaches a point where it loses its effect. And then I think we're at that point. What I'm wondering is that, is it leading to an actual breakdown because he's covered other incredibly serious topics? I'm, I'm, Censoring myself here because of of Nick. Nick. So (laughs) I'm wondering if it has literally been building up to an actual breakdown. And that's what we can expect in the next couple issues. Because if you look at where this ends as well, it doesn't end well, obviously. (laughs) And I can only assume what's going to be happening in the next issue or two. And I'm wondering if that's where Kirkman is going. An actual full-blown breakdown. So we don't know. After reading Invincible uh, and uh, a large chunk of The Walking Dead, I read The Walking Dead quite a while ago, right up until the introduction of uh, Negan. Um, right about where we jumped off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have to wonder what kind of fucked up life Kirkman has read, <laughs> has lived, man. He's like a like a Victor Hugo character. Ken, it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah. still pretty early on in Invincible. It just does not stop ramping up. All right, Vince, what do you got? Uh, other than that, uh, let's talk about Mighty Thor. This issue was kind of a departure from what we've seen before. It's more or less a side story of Loki uh, introducing what's going to be the next big villain for Thor to deal with. Essentially Viking Hulk and Yes, that's as awesome as it sounds, but he, you know, he's telling a tale of, you know, back in the Viking age, back when, you know, Thor was, you know, the god of the land. It's a cool story. It, it It's something Aaron does very well of. He can do modern day stories and he can do this epic mythological stuff that just he, he can switch that tone on and off and it works really well, but also they brought in a different artist. I, we've seen what uh, Russell Dodderman could do in the comic and it's great, but he brought in, uh, well, not he, but Marvel brought in uh, this artist, Rafa Garris, to do the flashback sequence. And this is something we've talked about a number of times where the switch with artists, but it fits here because it's not just the comic switching. It's Loki telling a tale. So it makes sense that it would have this different art style and to kind of reflect the way he's telling the story. And it is off brand, if you will. It's there's a lot of just colors and like lines that merge into each other. It's it's very sketchy almost, but it 
it just really captures you know that viking tail feel i i thought it was pretty cool and it it does a great job of what it needed to do for this one issue of really building this guy up as oh man he's gonna kick thor's ass i feel like uh thor comics often really shine when they're able to borrow a lot of traditional fantasy tropes and and sort of retool them for the comic that's what's made Aaron's run here and in the previous volume so great because I think he's done that better than anyone else since Simmonson really because you you have writers that have done cool sci-fi like modern day stuff with Thor and writers that have done cool like fantasy stuff with Thor but very few have actually been able to merge the two together. Okay. Did you read uh, Extraordinary X-Men, the newest one? Oh, indeed. The uh, Apocalypse Wars. Thank you. Oh, Ramus is back. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> nothing makes me happier. Oh, art in this was just spectacular. The story was really good, except that, and, and I don't know if this was hinted at before. You would know more than I would, Vince. Um, but when when they go through the portal and it's just a whole bunch of different worlds... I was like, what the hell? Is this like a Secret Wars tie-in kind of thing? Or is it just that they're doing the same bloody thing that was done in Secret Wars? What I, was the I, point I of that? I nothing. I don't know. Okay. Because, yeah, it was just, as soon as I saw that, I went, oh, God, not a Secret Wars tie-in stupidity. <laughs> and then they're going through each of the worlds, and I'm going, this is a Secret Wars thing. But yeah, Here's the Atlantis world. Here's the- <laughs> Exactly. It was all of it, and I was going, oh, crap. So, I sorry, don't, are you are you complaining about an X Men comic retreading an old plot? Don't be going <laughs> that X-Men way, Marty. Telling don't. an apocalypse story. <laughs> <laughs> turn evil. It's too bloody soon. All right, we just have gotten over the goddamn Secret Wars bullshit. I don't need this already. Other than that, though, bloody awesome. I we've talked about this before too. Where like the uh, oh damn it, what's uh what's her name? The time shifter. Um, that we uh, like Tempest. So I forget her real name, but Tempest was her code name. Yeah, where, you know, a lot more time has passed than what did for everybody else kind of deal, and that's what we got here. Which again, it's an it's a it's a trope, obviously, but it's a fun one when done well. And here it was done well. All right, Nick, what else you got? Unfortunately, my other two are kind of downers. Uh the Supergirl finale was crushingly disappointing. Um, I have been a fan of Supergirl since day one. The first five episodes were rough, uh, but I felt like as soon as they hit that red tornado episode, uh, the show really picked up and started, uh, you know, collecting a lot of steam. Uh, it was hokey in a lot of ways, but it was the kind of hokey that really worked for, uh, a show in the Superman universe until they hit the, the finale, the plot was weak. The villain was weak. You know, the solution was punching Brainiac in the face and making a really sweet video. Uh, it was, uh, you know, starring the boots of Superman. It was, they did basically everything wrong. It, it was a colossal disappointment. And uh, I think it might have seriously damaged their chances to be renewed, uh, which is very disappointing because I think the show shows a lot of promise. I have so much to say about this, <laughs> but I'm going to be strong and stick to my guns here and shut the hell up because it's easy. But suffice it to say, 
I agree with you, and I even feel more strongly than you do about it. Uh, uh, imagine this. Let, let me pitch you this. Myriad. Let's say Myriad is run by some type of reactor that runs on kryptonite, and the only way for Kara to turn Myriad off is to go in and break the the reactor, which of course will kill her. So she goes in, she breaks it, you know, she gets her lethal dose of kryptonite radiation jimmy comes out of the myriad they have their you know their spock bones uh uh, moment Kara dies we get a a slow-mo kind of you know music over montage of her being sealed into a crystal casket in the middle of the city and the last shot of the episode is uh a gateway opening because we know they're not afraid to use gateways after the the flash crossover episode a gateway opens and you see a streak shoot out of the gateway and crash into the ground leaving a a gigantic crater and as the camera zooms in on it we see that it is kara except that she's dressed in a purely white uniform with a red cape and her eyes open canadian supergirl <laughs> <laughs> Power man, Power Girl would have been so freaking fantastic to introduce. That would have been like a, a you know a red wedding type event. That would have made the show, you know, immediately memorable for that. But nope, they pissed away that opportunity. That's, again, so much to say, but I won't. Vince, what else you got? Uh, the only other thing I have is Demon Chicken Pollo. I didn't read it. I've been holding off on it, actually. Have you ever wanted to hear John Layman do his Dr. Seuss impression? Oh, God. Because a good the- chunk of the comic is a metered, rhyming Christmas story. Oh, God. Where Poyo is summoned because the grump ass has stolen Christmas. Is it it's- any good? Good and bad are kind of transcendent when you're talking about a Poyo comic <laughs> because it's so utterly absurd and ridiculous. It was a fun ride. <laughs> That's it, it again. It, it's no better or worse than the last couple Poyo one shots. It, it's more of the same absolute ludicrous over the top as insane as it can get and then it goes farther so i loved it for that alone all right i picked up the first trade of chew way back when it when it came out and that is the only comic i have ever had to walk away from because it nauseated me (laughs) what do you mean I, I could not handle it. Like the the whole, even the concept of, of the power that that guy has, I simply, uh, it turns my stomach even thinking about that. <laughs> That's a first. I don't think I've ever heard anybody describe it like that. <laughs> That's hysterical. Okay. Uh, I'll be reading it anyways this week. So I read... <laughs> The unbelievable Gwenpool. <laughs> you did not. I did so. I had to. <laughs> and I read it before too. <laughs> what does that tell you? Because <laughs> I figured it was a bad comic. And bad comics are like freaking magnets with me. I have to read it. I'm drawn to it. This is going to kill you. It wasn't bad. <laughs> it actually had its moments where I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. It was ridiculous had 
obvious elements of Deadpool, but it wasn't so much Deadpool because, again, I can only take so much Deadpool before it drives me batty. I mean, hell, even the newest Deadpool Spider-Man, even that was like, okay, that's enough. But this was actually... I liked it. I actually enjoyed where the story was going. It was hysterical seeing some of the things that she was pulling off and doing. And I liked the characters as well. Color me surprised in pink, but I thought it was great. (laughs) Well, okay. Great is a little strong. It was good. And the image for next week is her jumping like all Harley Quinn style with the big hammer onto female Thor. (laughs) God, because now she works for Monica. So, yeah, it, it actually wasn't bad. I actually enjoyed it. Oh, the surprise. Okay, Nick, we'll give you the last one if you have one. Uh, I do. Uh, I was just originally going to talk about The Flash and my disappointment with the last episode against <laughs> Zoom. Uh, but uh, instead, I'm going to move away from DC and talk a little bit about. Uh, actually a board game uh, that I got a chance to play Hmm. over this last week. Uh, As I know that you guys are at least somewhat fans of Star Wars. Uh, I get to play the new Fantasy Flight Star Wars Rebellion game, uh, which was, it was a bundle of fun. Um, It is a uh, a four-player game, uh, but uh, it's teams. Uh, One team is the Empire, the other team is the Rebellion. And it's an interesting board game because it's asymmetrical. Each side has very different uh, victory conditions. The Empire uh, is uh, sort of gallivanting around the galaxy, attempting to discover where the the rebel base is and destroy it before the uh, Rebellion gets an opportunity to catch on in the galaxy. And the way the Rebellion wins is simply to survive. Uh, The game is played with a turn counter uh, on one end of of a kind of a line, and uh, the Rebellion's uh, success on the other end of the line. And if the turn counter ever passes the Rebel victory point counter, the Rebels win. And the uh, if the Empire ever locates the Rebel base and blows it up, uh, the Empire wins. It It is an incredibly well-balanced game for how different the two sides actually have to play. It's also an interesting game in that... Uh, it really does a good job of modeling uh, one side of the struggle, essentially playing terrorists. Uh, the the rebels basically, uh, their you know one of their superpowers is sabotage, which you know blows up imperial uh, uh, facilities. Um, they are all about jumping you know little fleets out of light speed suddenly to blow up an imperial star destroyer and then jump back out and escape. Uh, it's it does a very good job of modeling that type of uh, struggle that we're familiar with from the news uh, every day, as well as the struggle that we're familiar with from the from the films. Uh, you know, in my first game of it, I actually won uh, playing the rebellion by blowing up the enemy's Death Star, so that was pretty cool. Hmm. Awesome. How long did the uh, games last? About. It is a long ass game, man. It is like <laughs> four hours long. No way. Yeah. Listen, um, nobody ever said overthrowing an empire was easy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't uh, it's dial interesting because it, it plays like a different game depending on which side of the board you're on. Uh, the empire plays almost like a, a weird, you know, amalgamation of risk and clue. Uh, whereas the, you know, the rebellion is solidly uh, Axis and allies or um, pandemic. 
Fantasy Flight puts out some great, great games. Uh, they they really do. If you haven't tried the new uh, Star like, Wars RPG that they put yeah, out. I'm I'm more, I'm more familiar with their RPG stuff. Yeah, the the Star Wars one with the custom dice is, is quite fun. And what's the name of this one again? The board game? Star Wars Rebellion. I'm gonna have to check that out. All the four hours? Yeah, it's a little scary. Yeah, it's a four hour game, and the box the box uh, the, of the game is so it's about half a game of Monopoly. Yes, uh, and you lose half as many friends. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, all right, new releases for the week on the Marvel side. We've got all-new Wolverine, number seven, Amazing Spider-Man, number 11, Angela, Queen of Hell, number seven, Avengers Standoff Assault on Pleasant Hill, Omega, number one, Daredevil, six, Doctor Strange, seven, Doctor Strange, Last Days of Magic, number one, Ms. Marvel, number six, Old Man Logan, number five, Spidey, five, Star Wars, number 18, Ultimates, number six, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number seven, because apparently that's Eisner material now and Venom Space Knight number six. On the image side, we've got Postal number 12, Saga 36, Sex Criminals 15, and Velvet 14. IDW, we've got Micronauts number one, a new one. TMNT number 57, Transformers More Meets the Eyes number 52, Transformers Sins of the Wreckers number four, and A New X-Files number one. And from Valiant, we've got Faith number four of four. And with that, that is going to wrap it up for the week. Thank you for joining us, Nick. Really appreciate it. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and Vince is going to actually be on ACC this week, so that well, will come out next in week, yeah. a month, two months. Who knows when Marty gets that crap out. <laughs> All right. we, we, we have a sound guy now. Yeah, that's the only reason why it's on time. Because <laughs> it's no longer Marty taking care of editing. <laughs> Steve, the sound guy, who is fantastic. MVP. So make sure to go to All Comics Consider to support these guys as well. It's a fantastic podcast. Can't say enough good about it, except when they say horrible things about us in bumpers yeah and you can... sorry about that yeah apparently you guys were taking that in the uh the kind of silver age direction and we we went all christopher yeah. Yeah, man we rewrote ours after we heard yours we, we were giving you a stan lee and you showed up with a rob life <laughs> all right you can find the show notes at comebookinformer.com you can find us on twitter at cb informer or individually i am zen buddhist vince is simodian and nick you are uh, I'm legally Nick Fury. There you go. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you guys next week. Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast. <laughs>